I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to go to Ephesians 3. Ephesians is one of those books, it's very difficult for me to really try to bring something out of Ephesians and not feel like i got to read the whole book because it's so woven together. There's so much richness in this. I think people have made the, art, made the case that you could have every counseling session, no matter what the topic, you could, you could have every counseling session and just talk out of Ephesians and you'd be fine. It addresses so many different areas. It is foundational. Um, and so... As we jump into Ephesians 3, sometimes I feel like we're cheating ourselves because Ephesians 3 is built on the foundation of Ephesians 1 and 2, but we got to start somewhere. I mean, you guys, uh, some of you hardcore folks would be here if we said we're going to go to midnight, but, but most of us are not at that place yet. <laughs> you know, I marvel at that story when Jesus fed all those people, fed thousands of people. The scripture says he taught for three days, and then he realized they needed food because he said to his disciples, if we don't feed them, they'll faint on the way home. Uh Now, most of the time when we want to get out for lunch, we're not at risk of fainting on the way to our car. (laughs) But, you know, that's that's what a spiritual hunger should always outweigh our physical hunger and our physical need. And so uh, I think when you're hungry for God, you know, just as Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to accomplish his work. It, it makes, it, it puts the priorities where they belong. But that, that being said, we're not going to preach for five hours today unless something happens that I don't expect. But let's get into Ephesians chapter 3. And uh, I just want to tell you that um, I'm, let me see here, in my 11th year as pastoring, and in those 11 years, the, the one area uh, that I've had the most significant growth in that I'm still reaching, I've still got a long way to go, is the area of prayer. I've found that what, what probably makes me better equipped to pastor is not, not growing in the area of just becoming a better preacher or a uh, better speaker, better counselor, better... The, the one thing that makes me a better pastor and will make me uh, more equipped to do the work that God's called me to do is to more and more learn how to pray for the people God's put in my life. That, more than anything, has changed my life. Because in the, in the past, I could just give you examples, in the past two months, we've had dramatic answers to prayer because we took it seriously and we prayed for one another. And um, that's not, there's no special, you guys know that when prayers reach the, the throne of God, God doesn't separate them into, oh, this is a pastor's prayer. This is an evangelist prayer. These are the prayers of the saints. And they carry the weight of Jesus Christ because we don't pray in our name. We pray in his name. So that's what gives your prayer weight is that you're praying in the name of Jesus. And so if you're praying in the name of Jesus, they have equal priority as far as God is concerned. Thank God he's a big God, so there's no lineup. There's no... There's no budgeting, there's no rationing that, uh, you know, uh, God is not limited and so he can answer all of our prayer at once in different ways as he does. But let's jump into Ephesians 3 and I want you to see the importance of praying for one another and how we pray for one another. A couple, a few weeks ago, I think I told some of you this, a few weeks ago there was uh, one of our uh, sisters in Loon Lake, um, uh, her, her significant other um, was very bitter, very angry towards God. For and There was a lot of things that had happened in his life, which just kind of makes it seem like somebody was out to get him. And he was very bitter about it. And a lot of times people misplace that. It's funny, the people you run into that don't believe in God and are at the same time incredibly mad at God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't believe there is a God, but I, I'm really mad at him. Like, that doesn't make any sense, but isn't that just like the enemy to fill us with those things? And, 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 and so there's this misdirected anger at God and instead of the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It was directed at God. And I remember I was with, I was with it was just one of those Bible studies where everybody was gone. It was a home group and on a Thursday night. We were studying the Word, and then we prayed for one another. And it was just three of us. And these two people had the exact same sort of prayer request. We joined hands and we just prayed. And, 
And one of the prayer requests was this guy. And, you know, someday maybe I'll have him come and tell his testimony. But he, this was just a few weeks back. And this guy was hardened. This guy was angry. And my instinct was kick him to the curb and, 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 and never speak to this guy again. Just kick him to the curb. That, you don't need to put up with this. But she'd asked for prayer, so we prayed. And it wasn't two weeks after that, this guy shows up in the back of the church, listens to the message, comes forward with tears running down his face, big, strong guy, tears running down his face, wanting Jesus. Received Jesus, and he keeps texting me, keeps texting me saying, uh, I don't know who you're talking to. I know you're trying to talk to everybody when you're preaching on Sunday, but you're talking directly to me. I said, that's the Holy Spirit. That's what he does, right? And so I was like, that's what he does. When we preach the word, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. He's like, well, it's awesome because I'm opening my Bible and, and it's like talking directly to me. I said, that's good. And so you see somebody that was such a lost cause and all of a sudden he's on fire for Jesus and you say, what's the connection? What's the connection? Well, it's the Holy Spirit that does that work. You can have 50 conversations with somebody, arguing with them, trying to wrestle them into something, and it will have no effect. But if you pray, now you got to have the conversation. But the Holy Spirit will lead that conversation, right? You trying to win an argument doesn't win a soul. How many arguments have you won? And people are like, wow, yeah, yeah. How many, you, you totally beat me down with that argument. What must I do to be saved? That rarely happens. Now, God will give you the words to say, and there's times where it's persuasive. There's times where, you know, the Apostle Paul said, we are casting down vain imaginations and every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. He's talking about what we're saying is breaking down cultural beliefs and paradigms, and we're, we're knocking those things down. But he said the weapon of our warfare is not fleshly. You see, the world thinks if I can beat you up with an argument, I can win you. Or at least get you to be quiet. You know, I can, I can at least shut you up if I do this. But the Holy Spirit is after the heart. God is after the heart. And so, uh, you know, how many conversations had this guy had and he had resisted, in fact, gotten further hardened. But we joined, and you knew something changed that day when we prayed. And everything in your brain says, this isn't doing any good. You've got to shut that part of your brain off. But your brain is saying, we're just praying. Faith says prayer changes things. The fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. It has a big effect. And I'm some, you know, sometimes you'll be praying for somebody for years. It, it, you know, sometimes it's that fight. It's that, it's that continue, that endurance, that perseverance. But in this case, it was a couple of weeks. It was so dramatic, the change. Because I've had people, guys, you've seen it. I've had people in church, we talked about this last week. You've had people in church whose, you know, wife or, or husband or girlfriend or boyfriend kind of pushes them to the front, like, come on, you need, you need this, you know, just go up, just go up. If you go up, then we'll go to your favorite restaurant afterwards. If you just go up, and people are like, okay, I'll go up, I'll let them up. This, this guy's, you know, this woman, the woman wasn't even in the room. She wasn't even there. She was working in nursery. This guy came on his own volition. And it was the Holy Spirit that did that. It was God that did that. When I first got married, Brother Dave McGrew was giving me some advice that I needed very, I needed more than I thought I needed. You know, because when you get married and you've been pastoring for a few years and you, you've been in the Word for longer than that, you've been born again for I don't know how many years, then you think you have all the answers in marriage. You think you got it all. I mean, like, I, I figured I will ace this test. Because I know all the right answers. But knowing the right answers does not, e not necessarily equal doing the right thing, right? You know the right answer, but it doesn't always, it, it, that, it, when reality hits, it's not just knowing the answer. It's, it's really having faith in God. And so he said to me, he said, well, John, he said, there are some things you can't just talk through. There's some things you just got to pray through. And I thought, well, I'm a pretty good talker. I was young and stupid, forgive me. I still might be. But boy, was that the lesson I took, and, and it has been the greatest thing in our marriage, has been discovering 
Talking is good. Communication is good. But there are some times when the best thing you can do is pray through it. Because prayer invites God into a situation. It, 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 it takes all the pride away. Because pride says, I can make this work. I can make this happen. Faith says, God can make this happen. And so, we're going to dive into Ephesians 3. And I want you to see how the Apostle Paul prayed for the church. And you might be tempted to say, well, what right do I have to, I have to pray a prayer like that? He's the Apostle Paul. He's a, he's a great apostle. I think it's a very dangerous thing for you to find excuses to put distance between you and what the Word of God says. Um, whether that distance is because you think, well, he's an apostle, I'm not, or he's a superhero of the faith, I'm not. I think this is the kind of prayer that we all should be able to pray. And in Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm going to just zip through the first, um, first 10 verses or first 12 verses. I'm going to read them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about them, but I want them to lay the foundation for the prayer that we're about to see. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the work of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. So let's just stop here. And he's saying, God gave me, he gave me the honor of preaching the mystery of the gospel, which for centuries has been hidden, which for centuries hasn't been revealed, but now it's revealed to us. The gospel, the great mystery is the gospel. Mystery doesn't mean it's something that needs to be solved. Mystery is something that has to be revealed by God. And the gospel has been unveiled to us. And it's the unfathomable riches of Christ, which means there's so much in the gospel. There's so much in Christ that you won't be able to, with your mind, figure it all out. You can't fully wrap your head around it. It's that good. That's why I don't think there needs to be any, any uh, pizzazz, any extra marketing to the gospel. It's so good when something's perfect Adding something to it takes away from its perfection. The gospel is so good, you can't make it better. It's that good. Sometimes we think we, Jesus needs a PR person, and that's us. You know, I, he said that, but here's what he meant. The gospel in its purest form is the most powerful thing on the planet. It is the power of God. And so here we, we dive into that, and then he says this, for this reason... Because of the mystery of the gospel, because you've been made a part of it, because of all that Christ has done in you, because of all this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. That is a big prayer. In fact, it's so big that, you know, for the first several years of me reading this verse and this section of Scripture, I would kind of get so overwhelmed with the greatness of it that my eyes would kind of gloss over halfway through and I would just say, yeah, it's all good. Like, we're praying that God would open and all this. You know, sometimes 
There's so much to digest. You walk in and you see there's so much to digest. There's so much to take in. You kind of just lump it all together and say, isn't it all good? But I want you to know this is so packed, full of the greatness of God. This is so packed. And, And the greatest thing is it's not just packed with the greatness of God. It's packed with the greatness of God toward you. And these are the kind of prayers. This is a big prayer, guys. This is a huge prayer. The kind of things he's asking for are are gigantic. There's no greater prayer. I mean, there's no bigger thing you could ask for than what he's asking for. And yet, this is the kind of prayer God wants us to pray for each other. Like I said, the thing that's changed me in the past few years more than anything is learning the power of praying for one another and learning the importance of praying for the people that God has put in your heart. These are the kind of prayers I want to have the faith to be able to pray and believe. I love this because as as he gets into it, he says this, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. You notice it doesn't say out of the riches of his glory. Think about this, okay? So there's a panhandler. There's there's somebody on on the side of the street asking for money. A rich guy comes by, throws him a couple bucks. That rich guy is giving him something out of his great riches, right? Mm -hmm. Out of my giant bank account, I'm giving you a couple bucks. But that's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say out of the riches of his glory. It says according to the riches of his glory. See, here's the difference. When you give somebody something out of your riches, it's just coming out of that account. But when you give someone according to your riches, it's in proportion to what you have. So Jesus said about those rich people that were giving in the offering, he said they're giving out of their surplus. They're not giving a whole lot. They may seem like they're giving a lot because the, the dollar signs, you, know, you could hear the cha-ching as they put it in. But this little lady who gave just a little bit was giving more than they were giving because she gave all that she had. So he's saying these rich people are giving out of their surplus. They're not giving a lot. They're giving out of their surplus. But if they gave according to their riches... That would mean a direct proportion to how much they have. That's how much they're giving. Now, God is not asking us to pray that we would dip into the vast reserves of his greatness and say, out of your riches, could you somehow, some way, spare a little for us? He's saying, according to the riches of his glory. Because what are we asking for? We're asking that you would be strengthened with power in the inner man by that same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. That's a big thing to ask. And the kind of strength that he's providing here is not a little bit, not just enough for the moment. The kind of strength that he's providing is according to all that he has. And I'll just ask you this question straight out. When we pray for one another, where is our faith at? Are we praying that God would do something out of all that he's got? Are we praying according to, to your riches, according to the greatness, according to your glory? Are we praying, I mean, think about this. When I'm praying for someone else and I, I have them on my heart, it's a temptation for me to pray with all of my thoughts directed at them. Let me try to explain that because I don't think that came out super clear. But when I'm praying, you know how many times have you prayed with somebody And maybe there's somebody that's hurting. Maybe there's somebody that's been through a tragedy. And we spend half the prayer almost trying to make God feel bad for them. God, you know how tough it's been. You know that they, God knows that. Yeah, he knows that. I mean, are you trying to somehow pull at his heartstrings? Like he is unfeeling, uncaring. And God, if I can make you feel bad enough. You're like, that, you're like that person that, that you know, plays the, the emotional music and puts the slideshow on where, where people are hurting. You know, if you could just spare a penny for these poor souls. Oh, you know, like God is like, oh, very well then. A pittance. You've moved my stony heart. Is that the God we serve? No, the Bible says he's granted us. He's already granted you all things. Pertaining to life and godliness. He's already granted it to you. He's not still having to make his mind up about this. He has already made up his mind. If it's been granted, all you got to do now is ask for it, right? What did Jesus say? Here's what glory, now we talked about on Wednesday night, how one one of the goals in life 
is that God would be glorified. One of the foundational goals in life, the point of creation, is that God would be glorified. It's a wonderful thing when God is glorified. Jesus said, here's what glorifies God. Ask anything in my name, and you will have it. The Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. You can't bear fruit without asking. Because fruit, in order to bear fruit, you need something, don't you? You need life. You need that sun. You need that, that watering. You need all those nutrients. You need everything that, that he's promised. You need that to bear fruit. So Jesus said, here's what glorifies God. Go ahead and ask in my name. I've said this before, and you know, say, saying praying in the name of Jesus is not just adding the magic words in the name of Jesus to whatever you've asked. I pray that Brian gets a flat tire on the way home in the name of Jesus. I used the words, but I didn't pray in his name. Because that's not what God wants for Brian, as far as I know. <laughs> I'm praying in my name, and I'm, I'm hoping that, that adding a little abracadabra in the name of Jesus will do something. That's not in the name of Jesus. If I said, go in my name to home hardware, here's a credit card, go in my name to home hardware, my credit card, go pick up this barbecue grill, I need it, bring it back. If you go with my credit card and you say, hmm, uh, I, I would buy the grill, but now that I'm here with a credit card, let's, let's, buy, let's buy this other stuff. Let's, let's, let's ignore his instruction and I'll go and do all these other things. You're no longer operating in my name. And so when we operate in the name of Jesus, now here's the great thing, the name of Jesus. Oh, if we're, if we're truly, you say, well, how do I know if I'm praying in the name of Jesus? Well, listen to what he says. Watch what he tells you. Look, look what his desire is for people. Watch the life of Jesus. Jesus went about doing good and healing all that were pressed by the devil, for God was with him. If that's what Jesus was doing, I can guarantee you that is the heart of God. And if that's the heart of God, then I believe you pray that, you're praying the name of Jesus. As you dig into the word, as you dig into this, this, these wonderful and magnificent promises, you begin to see the heart of God. And you don't feel like you're off track for praying these same things for one another in his name. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through what? His spirit in the inner man. That's a lot different than you just being a little bit stronger. He's saying, I want you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner. Now, inner man is not a male or a female thing. It's, it's your inner person, that, that spirit which is inside of you. And I know we need that strength. That's the strength you need more than any other type of strength. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, here's the question. Does that mean Christ is not in my heart? No. The Bible is pretty clear. Jesus is very clear that uh, when we believed and we received Jesus, he dwells in us. He says, I will be in you just as the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. Then I'll be in you. The Father's in you. My spirit will be in you. He said, I won't leave you or forsake you. So we're not, we're not praying for believers to get Jesus back in their heart. But the question is, is he filling those places in your heart? There's a difference between Christ being present in your heart and Christ really dwelling and filling these things through faith. See, the more, how, what is it? It's through faith. The more I put my hope and my trust the more I, I react in faith to him, the more I say, Lord, I, you're not just the Lord of my Sundays. You're not just the Lord of my spiritual side, whatever that is. I want you to fill all those spaces in me. I want you to fill those areas in me that I thought were my business. I want you to fill all the corners, open all the doors, fill all the rooms. I want my heart to be full of you. And when he does that, Christ truly dwells and richly dwells in your heart by faith. Then he says this, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love. So we see two images here, image of a tree that's rooted, image of a building that's founded and grounded on something. The foundation of our life, the root of the tree, is love. That's where the life comes from, that's where you know it... 
First John says it so clearly. If I'm walking in love, I'm, I'm no, I'm, it's proof that I've been born again. It doesn't make me born again, but it's proof that I am. Because I'm, I'm identifying with Christ here. Here's his motivation, his love. You know, there's a lot of things that God is. There's a lot of things that, that we say, characteristics that define God. But there's one word that he defined himself by. God is mighty, God is holy, God is strong, God is powerful. But there's one word that he says, God is this, and it was love. You know, Apostle Paul said, it's the love of Christ that controls us, compels us. We do what we do because of the love of Christ. Being rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ. So is he talking about the is he talking about the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ? Is he talking about the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the mystery of Christ? I think the answer is yes to all the above. Let's just think about that for a minute. What's the, what's the width? What's the breadth? What's the breadth of the love of God? What's the breadth of the mystery? What's the wideness of it? Well, it was wide enough to include all of us. It's wide enough to include Jew and Gentile alike. It's wide enough to include the whole world. That's pretty big, isn't it? That's pretty big. What is the length? Well, it stretches from eternity to eternity. There's no end to it. You can go backwards and can't find the beginning. And you can go forwards and can't find the end of it. That's the length. Now try to comprehend that. Just try for a minute. Just try to, to imagine forever, okay? Just, just try to imagine that, that he will love you forever and you'll be with him forever. Take a second and, and picture that forever. Do you keep trying to put an end to it or a, a, an amount of years? What happens? It trips a breaker in my brain every, try, every time I try to do it. It used to bug me as a kid. I imagined eternity, a God that has no beginning and no end. And, and, and after a while, you just get a headache and you just walk away because you go, I can't process this. How does God not have a beginning? Like, everything's created, but he was never created. Or how do I have not have an end? As a kid, you think you're going to be bored, you know? Like, oh, man, this is going to be good for the first 500 years. Then, ugh. But you're still thinking in linear time, which is the reality we live in right now, but it's not God's reality. So his love has no beginning, no end. That's the length of it. And now you can understand why you need somebody to pray for you for you to comprehend this. Right? <laughs> what is the height? Well, in Ephesians, he's talked about us being seated in heavenly places. The height is the great magnitude, the great heights, all the way to the throne of God, the height. That, that is in the love of God, that is in the mystery of Christ. We've been seated with him, he said a chapter before this. We've been seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And what is the depth? The depth of the love of God was that Jesus was willing to go to the cross for you. To suffer the death of a criminal, to suffer the death of a sinner, even though he himself was without sin. He became sin, the scripture says, so that we, he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The depth of the love of God was, it was not a shallow kind of love like we have, you know, where I just feel warm fuzzies towards you. It was the depth, the deep love of God that caused him to take on the form of a human, of a bondservant, to go empty himself and take on the cross for us. Now, I can teach on this, we can talk about this, but the only way to really comprehend this in a real way, is through the Holy Spirit. You can take all the textbooks, all the Bible school classes you want, and there might be a, a mental comprehension, but there won't be a true faith without the help of God helping you to comprehend this. Because then he goes that you would know the love of Christ, which is unknowable. That's one of those weird sentences. You would know what is impossible to know. And that knowledge, as we've, if you've probably studied before, that knowledge is not head knowledge, it's experiential, it's real. 
Sure, it involves your brain, it involves your soul, it involves your mind, but it doesn't stop there. It's more than just knowing the right answer and being able to win Bible baseball. It's really being experientially, intimately familiar with the love of God, which is impossible to know without the help of God. And, you know, we'll, we'll keep discovering it more and more until we see Jesus. Isn't that great? You can take a thimble and fill it with ocean, and it doesn't take away from the ocean. The ocean is still vast. The thimble can be overflowing, but there's still way more ocean. That is the love of God. And then he says this, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. You see, this is a heavy prayer, guys that I would be filled up to all the fullness of God, that everything God is is supposed to fill me up. I'm supposed to be full with him. Now, are these the kind of prayers we're praying for one another? Huge, gigantic prayers. Do I have the right to pray like this? Absolutely you do. And here's the kind of prayer he's praying. These are massive ideas, guys. And, and so much of our prayer life is focused like a spiritual triage. Like it's focused so much on the person we're praying for, which it should be, should be, you should be thinking about them. You should be feeling compassion for them. You should be, you know, I mean, you're praying for them. But so many times when I pray for someone, I put way more attention on their need than I do in accordance with the riches of his glory. I'm putting more attention on their need than I'm putting on the source, which is God. And that changes my prayer. Because if I'm spending half the prayer trying to convince God that he should feel sorry for someone, I'm wasting my time. Not only am I wasting my time, I'm diluting the very faith I'm going to God in because I'm making it about them. But God doesn't say he's going to do this in accordance with your need. It's accord in accordance to his riches. And that's big. You see, Jesus wasn't led by, I mean, he felt compassion for the people's needs. He was moved by it. And yet, he wasn't changed by it. Like, you don't see Jesus, you know, setting up that triage and saying, well, you're more important. Or you're hurting a little bit more. You deserve it a little bit more. He didn't do that. All that came to him, he said. I mean, nobody got turned away. And, and think about it. Remember when, remember when Jairus came to him and Jairus was an important guy? And he comes to him and says, my daughter's dying. I mean, she's right on her deathbed. And if you don't come, she's going to die. You need to come now. And there was a time limit on it. Do you realize that there was a lady, that woman with the issue of blood, I mean, that's important. For 12 years, she had had this, this issue in her own body. She had had the, this, this bleeding that wouldn't stop. And all the doctors did all these things, and they couldn't save her. But guys, she dealt with it for 12 years. She could have dealt with it for, you know, another day. So you'd think there's a time limit here. Jesus would give her kind of the stiff arm and say, I got more important things to do. Because while Jesus is talking to this woman, Presumably, while he's talking to the woman with the issue of blood, that little girl died. So if we think in our human way of thinking, we would think, well, God, leave the woman with the issue of blood for a bit. Jairus has a bigger need. So we need to act on the need, all right? There's a bigger need, so go heal the daughter, then you can come back to this lady. But Jesus realized that the greatness of God is not diminished by answering one or two or three or a million prayers. He's not diminished in any way. I told you this story before. We had a lady in our church in Loon Lake that had like nine kids living at her house. I said like, but literally nine kids living at her house. And her dryer broke. Which, (laughs) for us, the dryer breaks, that's bad news, but it's not the end of the world. For her, that's a big issue. So we were in Bible study, and she said, my dryer broke. I had all these, I had these kids had to get clean clothes to go to school. She said, so I asked the Lord, God, help me. I need, I need help. Would you help me with this dryer? Then she said, I, and the dryer started working. And she said, but I felt guilty. I said, what about all those children in Africa that are, are dying? And I prayed for a dryer, a stupid dryer. I said, well, it's wonderful that you care about those kids in Africa. Pray for them. Give to, give to a cause. I, I said, but do you honestly think that in order for God to heal, you know, fix your dryer, 
he took a sandwich out of a little African kid's hands <laughs> and said, sorry, sorry, but a drier North American needed fixing. We have an infinite God. He's not diminished by answering a big or small prayer. He's not diminished. You can't take away from it. We need to pray these big prayers. We need to believe that God is more than willing to do it. Are you praying according to the need? Or are you praying according to the riches of his glory? What are you putting more focus on? I mean, the need plays a part, doesn't it? Jesus was moved with compassion. But when I pray, I've got to put way more focus on him than just, well, you know, these people need it, and here's why they need it. I want my heart and the, and the hope and my expectation to be fully focused on this is the greatness of who he is. Now, I believe God's honored by big prayer. I believe he is. I believe God is pleased by it. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, I'm not talking about you being presumptuous. I'm not talking about you coming up with your own thing. I'm talking about praying in his name for the things he's already said I want you to have. I want you to be filled to the fullness of me. I want you to be strengthened with power in the inner man. I want all these things for you. And here's the deal. God is honored by that kind of faith. In it, God is glorified. There's an old story about Napoleon that when he, uh, uh, they, they had fought hard over this island in the Mediterranean, and when they finally won it, it was a hard-fought battle. It was a valuable, strategic island in the conflict. And so he and all his officers were sitting around a table. And one of the youngest officers, so the story goes, one of the youngest officers said, give me this island. And everybody looked at this kid like, oh, you're dumb. You have not learned what you need to learn. You don't just ask for things like that. Napoleon said, give me a, piece, a pen and a piece of paper. He signed the island over to this young officer and gave it to him. And, and the senior officers were in shock. They said, why did you do that? He said, he honored me by the magnitude of his request. I was honored because he, he thought so much of me that he asked me for such a great thing. Do you ever see, and I've said this, you have heard me say this way too many times, I've never found anyone, I've yet to find someone in the scripture, I've looked Old and New Testament, I've yet to find one person that God says, what gave you the right to ask for that? But you do find those who ask too little. You do. You find that guy that the prophet said, strike the ground. This is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, strike the ground with it. And in the Hebrew, that's a continuous, just keep striking until I tell you to stop. And he stopped after only a few times. And the prophet said, well, if you had kept going, I would have completely defeated your enemies. But you stopped. So you'll defeat them this many times, and then you'll stop. He said, why don't you just keep going? God is not impressed with you trying to budget him or ration him, saying, well, Lord, I know you're real busy. Lord, I know there are bigger things in the world. He knows that too but he's fully able to do all of that, right? And this is something I think is worth praying. Now, we're going to come towards the end of it here. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, that's huge. That verse is so packed to him who is able. In fact, I thought it might help to have a little visual cue here. So, it starts out, him, who are we talking about? We're talking about God. God is, the first thing we find out about God is he's able. Already that's an amazing truth, isn't it? God is able. Right there, that's awesome, right? God can. He is able. If that weren't good enough, let's add this. God is able to do. The fact that he's not just able, not just a, a God who's up there saying, well, I could if I wanted to. But he's a living God who does. Like David said, who are these guys that they come against the armies of Chai Elohim? In other words, a living God, which uh, Elohim means like the mighty one. 
Who, who are we? And it's pluralized because we're talking about he's so mighty, it can't be, it can't be contained in, in the singular. It has to be plural. So when the Hebrew people talked about something big like the water, they don't just say the, the ocean. They don't just say the sea. They say the waters. Or It's not just the heaven. It's the heavens. So when they talked about God, it was always plural. Even before they fully grasped the reality of the Trinity, it was always plural. So God is not just able, he is the living God, he's able to do. That's good, right? Because it's nice to know he's able. It's a lot nicer to know he's able to actually do. So he's able to do. But it doesn't just say he's able to do, it says he's able to do what we ask. That's amazing because now we're involved in it. That God is paying attention to you and me is a huge deal, right? Because many people tell you, well, God does what he wants. Nobody knows why or why not, but that's not the scripture, is it? Jesus never went around and someone, you know, why did you heal this guy? Well, I healed them because I felt like it. He never says that. He doesn't say, I, I healed them because they had a, 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 a cool looking face and I, I, I like that face. I, I healed them because, you know, they're from a good family. He doesn't say any of that. Either he doesn't, either he just does it. Or the times where he does tell somebody why, he says it was because of their faith. Like, they actually asked. He, he had already come saying, this is what I want to do. They responded to his proclamation, I've come to do this by asking for the very thing he said he came to do. So he says, I'm honored by this. Your faith has made you well. It wasn't that their faith, you know, was this, you know, uh, this new agey kind of thing working. No, they, their faith was in Jesus he had all the power, but faith was the thing that connected to it. Sister Rhonda taught children's ministry, and she told me, was it last week or the week before? Two weeks ago, she taught the kids, and this is a great example. Sometimes we would probably learn more in children's ministry than you learn up here listening to me. But she said she taught the kids, you know, you can have a, a, a house, and correct me if I get this wrong, but you can have a house connected to the power grid, and it's got power all running through it, but until you flip that switch... Nothing's going to come on. And you can phone the power company and say, we need more power, we need more power. But you already have access to it. What you got to do is flip it on. God has granted us these things. And it's a matter of us. So Jesus came and said, I've come to heal the sick. I've come to cast out evil spirits. I've come to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. I've come to release the captives and set free those that are oppressed by the devil. So when people came to him and said, you said you came to do this. We heard you were doing this. He said, your faith has made you well. So God is able to do what we ask. That's a pretty big deal. But he doesn't just say ask. He says, God is able to do what we ask or think. So there's things that we haven't even had the guts to ask for. And he's able to do it. Right? That would be big. We could stop there and that'd be big. But he doesn't just say that. He says he's able to do all that we ask or think. So there's nothing you could ask, there's nothing your brain has the, has the ability to comprehend or even dream up that's too big for him. You are incapable of, ask, of figuring out, of even dreaming up something that's too big for God. You don't have the, that capability. It's not built in. You don't have the ability to even dream up something that's too big for his power. But he doesn't just stop there. He's able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. Abundantly more than you could ask or think. So not just a little, not just by a margin, but abundantly. And if that weren't enough, that's not all he says. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly. At this point, it just seems like overkill. It's just, I mean, like, all right, we get it. If you ever look at the, the Greek word here, um, that's translated exceedingly abundantly. It's, it's a big word. But it basically means super abundantly. Mega abundantly. More than you can ask or think. <laughs> See, if I was just to say God is able, that'd be a big deal. If I say God is able to do, that's a big deal. God, God is able to do what I ask, that's a big deal. God is able to do what I ask or think. God is able to do all that I ask or think. God is able to do abundantly more than all I can ask or think. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what I can ask or think. That's huge. God's not impressed by you making little of him. He's impressed, he's honored, glorified when we think much of him.
And the reason I tell you this today, the reason we're sharing this today is because there is a great need for the church to grab on to these promises. And I'm t- today we're just we're narrowing it down. This, is, this all comes from a prayer that Paul is praying for the church. These are the kind of prayers we need to pray for one another. Prayers that put more focus on him than just on the need. The need plays a role, right? Jesus, when someone came to him and said, you know, I'm lame, he doesn't say, what, you're what? No, he recognized the need. He responded to the need. But he wasn't, (laughs) the need wasn't his biggest focus. He was not drawing from the need. God does not draw from, from how great the need is. The greater the need, the more the power. No, it's all available to those that will ask. And I think it's a good thing for you to have great faith in God when it comes to one another. You know, some of these things, and you could go through the prayers of the Apostle Paul and go through the prayers of Jesus, that, that they pray as Jesus prays in John 17. Or at some point in almost every letter, Paul prays for the church. You go through these and you learn how we're meant to pray for one another. And you learn these things that we, sometimes we just say, well, guys, if you want to do it, just pull up your pants and, and just be a believer, for goodness sakes. I mean, nobody's going to do it for you if you don't do it for yourself, right? And yet, all of these things that he's asking, he's asking on someone else's behalf. So. I've taken it more seriously lately. If you've been around me when I've got a call from somebody or a text from somebody where it was an emergency or not, even not an emergency, they needed prayer, I used to just say, I'll be praying for you and hope that I remember it at some point when I'm doing my prayer time. Maybe you've used I'll be praying for you as a, as a way to end the conversation. This has gone on too long. Okay, I'll be praying for you. But what I've started to do now is the moment I say I'll pray for you, I stop what I'm doing and I pray for them. Because I've started to believe to the core of my being that there is power in that prayer. And since there's so much power in that prayer, because there's so much power in Him, because there's so much power in that prayer, I'm not going to treat it like it's just a light thing anymore. Because we've seen the hand of God. And even if we hadn't seen it, His Word says it so we believe it. And this is the kind of faith we need to have in Him. In Him that he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Here's the last part. According to the power which works within us. The power which works within you is the Spirit of God, the same Spirit which raised Jesus Christ from the dead. If you remember what Peter said, he said it was impossible for the grave to hold Jesus any longer. We sometimes talk about it like, you know, he just, he made it out just by the nick. He just barely made it through. No, he didn't just barely make it through. There was such great power. That spirit of God was such a strong power. It was impossible for the grave to hold Jesus any longer. And that's the power which is working within you. Who what? Believe. And there's your qualification right there. All of the weight of your prayer is on him. All of the weight of the power it needs to get done, of all of that, the, all of the greatness, and, and we say, well, you know, all of the, the impossibilities and, and, and the little things and the big things, all of that is on him. Your part is to ask and believe. That's what Jesus said, right? Whatever you ask, believe. Believe. If you stand if you've got any unforgiveness, forgive. These are very simple things. The weight is on him. And I'd like us to take some time this week to be serious about the people you're praying for. If you say, I don't, I don't have anybody to pray for. I'm the, people that, I'm the God that needs prayer for me. Well, the scripture says, pray for one another that you may be healed. See, if you're not praying for someone else, you know, you, your prayer life is stunted, right? You, I, it's, it's important that you pray for your, your, you bring your own needs to God. You know, he says, everything bring to me. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything bring it to me. But, uh, you know, as you grow, you're going to find 
that it is a great blessing to pray for one another. And I want us to take it out of the realm of, well, I, God, you know how hard they're, how much they're hurt. You know how difficult this is. And, you know, yes, he does know all that. He does not need to be talked into it. Can we start praying in accordance with his greatness rather than in accordance with the need? Can we start praying in accordance with the riches of his glory rather than in accordance with some sort of budget we put God on? God is not on a budget. He's big enough, right? Let me just put it in, I'll put it in material terms. We're talking about spiritual stuff today, but let me put it in material terms. Is it easier for God to supply a five-cent need than a $5 million need? Why would it be? Why would it be? I mean, see, that brings up a lot of questions to me. If it's easier for God to supply five cents than $5 million, then he's a limited God. Now, I'm not asking you to go home right now and say, I want $5 million today. I'm not against it, but I, I, I probably don't think that's what you're supposed to take out of this message. Why would it be easier? Is it harder? Is anything impossible for God? See, we've got to think bigger of God. He's able to do more than we could even dream up. So if you have been able to imagine, and it's in line with the will as declared in the Word of God and by the Spirit of God, if, if it's in line with that, if you could even dream it up, it's still not too big for God. Let's pray big. Let's believe big. Let's, let's put our expectation of God through the roof. Now let's pray for one another that our, our hearts would be open and our eyes would be open to be able to comprehend the height, the breadth, the depth, the width of God. The width, the breadth, the height, the depth of His love. That we'd be able to just say, I want to comprehend with all the saints. Now I love that because God will use the saints to bring in different revelation of him. We've talked about this before, but when the prophets in the Old Testament saw those creatures circling the throne of God saying, holy, 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 it does not say they were saying it to God. It says they were saying it to one another. They were seeing a different side of God than the other one saw. And they were each bringing that to the table. I want us to comprehend with all the saints the great mystery which none of us could hold on our own. But by the Spirit of God, it's, being unre- it's unveiled for us. It's being revealed, all right? So just take a minute right now. We're going to bow our heads. And, and in fact, stand up with me.